Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Coach Nicole Sugihara. Nicole and I had a really fun conversation all about self-love and what it means to love yourself through your training, through your injuries, through your recovery, and most importantly, how we combine the self-love with the fierceness that comes with competing. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you will find this information highly valuable. So let's tune in. Nicole, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. You are quite welcome. I am super excited. Um, We had a good conversation prior to this about what you are involved in and what you do and what your passions are, um, which I think are absolutely amazing. So I'm excited to get you on here to um, just talk to the listeners about, about those passions that you have and these, how you train your clients and that sort of thing. Um, but let's start just with who you are, how you got into this personal training aspect, how you got into OCR and we'll go from there. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so I am a uh, Spartan SGX coach. I'm a certified level three holistic lifestyle coach through the Czech Institute. I am also an exercise coach through the Czech Institute and have been in the health and wellness industry for really a lot of years. (laughs) And today is my 43rd birthday, actually. And so I can say it's been a while because um, I started teaching and coaching. I think my earliest time was probably in the swim pool at around 12 or 13 or 14. And then I started teaching dance after that. And I think I've taught just about everything inside and outside. And I have a deep love for the outdoors. I have a deep love for physical wellness. I have a deep love for mental and emotional wellness and spiritual wellness as well. And I have a, my master's degree is in art therapy. And so I love the holistic component of working with clients and seeing them become, you know, we always say it's like the best version of themselves, which is so cliche, but it really is. And that does definitely mean different things for everybody. And the aspect that I really dive into the very most with my people is with the self-love component, because I found for my own self and my own life, being a pretty type A personality type, um, hard driven, recovering perfectionist, that that was really the component that was missing the most was really my own self-love. And, um, And how I found OCR I watched a couple of, um, of the Utah OCR races, um, Spartan races, because our backyard is literally where the last three years until this year, um, the, those three Utah Spartan races were actually in our backyard. So those trails that those races have been on were, are where I train all of the time. And I, you know, take my dogs up there at least three or four times a week. And so I would see them setting up and I had friends and family that would, that were, that raced a couple of different years. And so I would just go and watch. And I always looked at that and thought, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. And the trail masters and stuff would be up there setting up the course and be like, are you doing the race this weekend? And I'm like, Oh, no way, man. (laughs) Um, and then it kind of just came around where the, the group that I was training with at the, at a local gym, they were training for Spartans. And I thought, okay, okay. Like, I think I got this. Like if these guys and gals can do this, I think I might be able to do this. And so 
um, I watched a couple more races and was waiting for my shoulder to get a little bit better. I had a shoulder um, uh, rotator cuff injury. And uh, as soon as I felt like I could at least get through burpees, I knew I couldn't do any of the overhead obstacles, but by the time I could at least get through burpees safely, then I was ready to go. And so my first race was the Montana Beast um, of last year, so of 2018. Very cool. Yeah. And you start with the big one. So uh, go big or go home, I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And once I did that one, I was totally addicted. I drank the Kool-Aid 100% and loved every, I, I just, I, I love the races. And I think I've raced almost every one of them with some variation of an injury, which is a part of what we're going to talk about later. But um, I still love, I still love every, I've still loved every single race that I've done. And I've done almost 20 of them now at this point. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's talk about the self-love and the perfectionist side of things. Cause I know that has been a huge issue for me growing up my adult years. And it's something that I still battle, but I'm getting better with. <laughs> um, so I kind of want to hear your side of that as far as the self-love and being that perfectionist, but knowing we can't be perfect in everything, knowing that we're going to have misses and how you kind of, how you deal with that. And then on the coaching side, how you help your athletes deal with that. Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> so perfectionism for me reared its ugly little head when I was, I mean, really young and I, it was a way I think for me, and this may not be the case for everybody, but I think commonly it was a way for me to cope with my existence. And it was a way to stay unnoticed in many aspects so that if I did everything well, then I wouldn't get in trouble. And so I think looking at the root of where some of those things come from is, is very important and understanding and kind of starting to unravel part of that. And that's where I love the mental an emotional aspect of so much of what I train. I almost train more mental and emotional aspects of people than I do almost physically. And because I, I definitely excel in that arena of being able to help unravel and unlayer different pieces because I can kind of see things from a 30,000 foot view and not get mired down in the muck. And I'm also not afraid of going down into deep, dirty, dirty, dark dungeons with people. Like I haven't, I really don't have any fear of that. Like I, I know that it might be scary and dark and freaky, but it's not going to hurt me. And so I really, I've trained over a period of time to be able to be okay with people sitting in that space. And the perfectionism, you know, it goes along with these other monsters of self-doubt and um, not feeling good enough. And so usually if there's perfectionism in there, those other two are lurking right there with it. And so they're kind of like, I, I liken it to a game of whack-a-mole, <laughs> like at the carnival, you know, and it's like you bop perfectionism on the head and then up pops self-doubt and then you bop that one on the head and then up pops, you know, not feeling good enough. And it's like this constant like battle of like bopping them on the head, trying to keep them all down. And really what I have found is, you know, like, I mean, it's been like, obviously like, it was, it's been a lot of years of therapy. It's been a lot of years of just self-discovery and coming to a place of getting that, you know, we each individually are good enough where we're at right now. And I don't like when people 
say that they're trying to fix something because I don't think there's anything to fix. I think there's things to heal and understand and to bring compassion to, whether that's within ourselves or other people. And so when I'm working with clients, you know, one of the things that I do is I always try to understand where they're coming from and help them determine kind of what some of those root causes are and where it might've come from in the past. And that's not necessarily work that everybody needs to do with a a client or a patient. Obviously that's for, you know, more trained professional types. Um, But even just basic understanding of that and being able to um, help them understand where it comes from. So getting, getting themselves into a place of, because I think when we feel those levels of self-doubt or um, not feeling good enough, then it's that downward spiral that doesn't take that long to go down the rabbit hole without a carrot and being able to basically do, you know, I call them mantra interruptions, like stopping the thought process, you know, going to a place of awareness first and a place of understanding and compassion, then going to a place of stopping, like being aware of the thought, stopping the thoughts and I have processes for that. And then, you know, re rewire, beginning to rewire the brain because all of those things have wired our brain in a way that those are some of the initial thoughts instead of those more positive thoughts or the more constructive thoughts. And it's not necessarily always about like positive thinking and just like keep going. Sometimes it is. And so being able to start to break those mental patterns over time with the awareness, with the stopping it, with the repeating of a different mantra and creating that in a holistic way where you start feeling it in the body, where you move it into the body and creating it visually in, in a different aspect so that you can start just wrapping it up and your and it shifts your cellular structure and it starts to shift the brain wiring over a period of time. Yeah, I absolutely love that because it, it is one of those things that we don't realize and something I've been working on a lot of the past almost two years now with my life coach, but we don't realize that <laughs> all these thoughts that we have, these triggers that we have are things that we created for whatever reason, uh, you know, when we were young growing up and that we can break out of these. It just does take that awareness and really just noticing what's going on, what's triggering it. And then how do we break that habit and create this new habit of response? Yes, for sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, and there's a lot of different ways to do that that are effective for different people and something that maybe works for, you know, five people may not work for another person, but it is a process of kind of delving in and, you know, kind of getting into the, the mixed up soup and putting together the things that work for you, for your recipe of what, you know, helps sustain you over a long, longer period of time. And I, you know, one thing that I do definitely that I'm starting to see with people and I'm, I'm testing out my theory, but I think one of the things that obstacle course racing or any other type of racing and, you know, marathons, ultras, whatever, I think a lot of the things that those teach us is we get to see what kind of mental clutter we have in our heads. And, you know, then what do we do with that to be able to continue going forward, moving forward, progressing, you know, conquering it to some extent and, it's fascinating because I think the same things that we think when we see an obstacle that we've either failed before in the past or continually keep failing it, 
or have a little bit of an intimidation or a lot of intimidation about, it's inevitably the same thing that stops you in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Almost, I think, maybe 99.9% of the time. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy. And like we've talked about before, that obstacles are such a metaphor for life as far as the OCR versus just life obstacles. And, and it really is. However, whatever thoughts, ideas, beliefs you have that you're approaching the obstacles that you struggle with on OCR, that's exactly how you're approaching the obstacles in life. And you're reacting and responding the same exact way, you know, positively or negatively. Yes, for sure. Yeah. How we do one thing is how we do everything is a quote that I have on my door. And it's true. I mean, I do believe that how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so that does transfer um, how, you know, how we tackle a course is often very much how we tackle our real life. I don't know that there's a way to really separate those things out so distinctly, unless you've got a really good, you know, way to compartmentalize things in your life. And like, you know, one set of your world is this way and the other set is this way. I don't think that's really the case because I think that when you train the physical enough for it beca- to, let me say that again, when you train the physical enough that it becomes mental, how you do your everyday life is going to show up in that training in that race, regardless, yeah. like it's going to show up. And so that's what I work on with people really. And, um, and that's where that, you know, I, I've come up with the fierce love warrior goddess because most of the women, I, most people I, I deal with and train, uh, are women and not necessarily only, but mostly. So if it's just the men, then it's the fierce love warriors <laughs> and, you know, and you, and tapping into helping balance, you know, those that self image, the negative self-talk, the mental game where I think is where the fierceness, you know, where I, I, it's the fierce love part and balancing that out with like the tenderness, the compassion and the love for yourself to, you know, be able to keep going, to be compassionate with yourself. If you fail an obstacle, if, you know, if you screw up a conversation in your life with somebody that, you know, needed to be an important conversation or you do something, you know, strange at work or with your kids or with your spouse or significant other and all of that stuff just, you know, it combines itself. And that's where I think there's this delicate play between that fierceness, that love, that masculine, that feminine, that force, and that like letting go and give or surrender would be another word for it too. Dive into that fierceness just a little bit more. Cause I think maybe this is just my perception, but I think sometimes like people kind of get in this confusion of like, they're supposed to be, especially with women, like kind and gentle and caring. But then when we're in this competitive world, it's fierce, aggressive, (laughs) no holds bar type thing. Like how do we be these two different people kind of at the same time? Well, I think, I mean, that's, that's been something that I've struggled with for a while. And I, I, what I've come to determine is that it's not being two different people at one time. It's embracing what we think is dualities and, but embracing them as one. And so it's getting those parts of yourself, those, what we would think is like, you know, those different dueling parts of ourselves 
to basically come together, recognize that you have strengths in this side, you have strengths in this side, using both of those strengths to be able to bring it forward and, you know, and then, and then help rise those things up. And so that that's, what's driving instead of thinking that there's one time where I have to turn this part on, you know, the fierceness, like only fierceness can exist right now, or only the loving tender part can exist right now. And I think the understanding is it's when both of those get to be blended together and we recognize that our strengths come when both of those things and their positivities and their optimal of each of those comes together and they become a unit and a union. And it, I think our, some of our best examples, if we are, if we were to look back and that's where I, where I use the warrior goddesses as examples, if we look back in ancient time, especially in ancient Sparta, I mean, it's not hard to look at ancient Sparta and see their examples of their women and, you know, their, their gods and goddesses that they, you know, listened to back then that they all have these dual parts of themselves and they become the best version of themselves when both of those pieces come together and meld into one. You know, you have the the goddess Artemis who is this fierce huntress, but she's also a goddess of light. And so what that tells you is that when you can tap into that light, into that love, and you can tap into that, you know, precision and that force that when you blend those things together, like you have a very unstoppable, powerful, incredible, beautiful human being. And that's what I work with, with my, you know, with my, my uh, clients and, you know, anybody else that happens to listen to me. (laughs) Like now on the podcast, Um, but there is something really incredible. I mean, you know, like, so for example, if we're going to take that and transfer that onto the race course, if you look at the spear throw, right, which is so many people's nemesis, if you look at what it takes to make an awesome spear throw, it takes a good amount of force from, you know, that physical arm, shoulder, core. And I would dare say through the legs, but then if you throw it way too hard, like it goes crazy, it ricochets off stuff. You know, it, sometimes it won't even stick. It just like, sort of like, I don't know, it ricochets and does weird stuff, but there's this, and then, but there's this lightness and this, um, you know, like a, a, a lightness is the only word I can think of right now. This lightness that is required to be able to get that sucker to the target. Because if you, you know, jam it in there, it's like, it doesn't, it, it oftentimes doesn't work. And so there's a precision, a delicateness, a lightness, and then that strength and that fierceness that has to come to be able to get like a really good spear throw. And it's fascinating when you can feel that in your body, when you get a good spear stick, you're like, oh my gosh. And that's kind of like part of the embodiment of, of those two forces playing together to just give a visual example for somebody and a physical example of what that feels like when the fierce love comes together, a spear throw is a perfect example. That's really cool. I love, I love that example that you gave. That's a very good description of that. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I, yeah, because I've tried it all the ways. <laughs> and the one that comes <laughs> together the best, you know, is when you have a little bit of fierceness, 
some gentleness to get that baby in there so it doesn't fly off the handle and you just go, oh my gosh, there it is. <laughs> awesome. Let's kind of switch directions a little bit. Um, I'm somewhat getting into what you've dealt with. Um, it, it does go into self-love and fierceness though in the fact of injuries happen, we get injured, we need to train smarter so this doesn't happen all the time. And I know you kind of have this vision of, or kind of the way you think about it is sustainable racing and training and this whole sustainability word. I use resilience a lot. Um, but when it comes to training and being sustainable as an athlete, how does all that play into, into everything? And how did this affect you as an athlete, especially dealing with your injuries? Yeah. So a little background on that, because I know you and I talked about that, but your listeners aren't going to have any idea what isn't being referenced to. So, um, before I started racing Spartan races, I had a rotator cuff tear. And so I had to work with that for quite a while to be able to help. I did not get surgery for it because it wasn't bad enough, quote unquote, to get surgery, which really just means it's going to take you a lot longer to heal it <laughs> because it's, you're not getting it surgically put back together. You basically have to wait for your body to kind of put things back together. I went from that to an IT band um, injury and meniscus tear on my uh, left knee. And that came from the, the very muddy Dallas Ultra last October. And I got that pretty well healed up finally. And the first race I felt really good at was actually <laughs> the Utah Super in July. So that took me a while. And that'll go back to what I'll explain in a second. And then I went from that to, I fell off Twister in August in Aspen and ended up compressing my thoracic spine and my discs or my, not my, yeah, my discs, my thoracic spine. I compressed T8 through T10 and I'm still recovering from that. And so I had never really been injured before my shoulder injury. So injuries, first of all, were very kind of foreign to me. And the soft, like the ligament and tendon issues are a weird injury, especially in those body parts, because a lot of them come from overuse or it's just kind of strange. I also deal with hypermobility or hyperlaxicity of my, my joints. And so that also takes things a longer time to heal than a lot of other people. So what I finally have learned, I guess, in a nutshell between all three of those is that's been about just to give a time frame. That's about been about a three year time frame that I've been dealing with some sort of random injury and this, the fierceness, the love, the sustainability comes from really more than anything, listening to my body to the best of my ability, not letting my mind oftentimes get the best of me. <laughs> because my mind wants to train like a fanatic all of the time, whenever I can. And I've learned that I really do have to listen to my body, that my body will tell me when I've gone too far, when I've been in the recovery process, when I've been in the, you know, rehabbing and what, you know, what feels good. Whoops. What doesn't feel good. 
and you know, what I need to be able to do to be able to help create continued wellness. And I was watching, I had every intention of going to Tahoe this year and running the open heat. I wasn't going to be able to do age group because I hadn't qualified obviously yet for that one. Um, because I'd been out a lot of the year, but I still wanted to do Tahoe and I watched all of on Tahoe and I had such bad FOMO, like, (laughs) like so bad. I had such bad FOMO. And it finally came to me like on about Monday or Tuesday after watching just the weekends and checking in on friends that had been there and ran and um, survived and completed it. It finally was the most, that the thought came to my mind that the most challenging thing that I could do for myself right now is love myself enough to allow myself to heal. And I think that's a really powerful statement, not because it came out of my mouth, but just because (laughs) I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just saying, because how many times, you know, do we think we just need to train a little harder, um, outthink our body a little more, or, you know, do a few more reps or just go a little heavier and it'll be okay. I mean, I did. So as a, as a, example, living example of how I took my IT band from a bad place to a horrific place was I injured it in October in the ultra. One week later, I was chasing a triple trifecta last year. So there was one super that I had to do in Sacramento the next weekend. Then two weeks later was Laughlin for another super to finish up my 3X trifecta. So I ignored I literally had duct taped my knees over my pants. I had wrapped my knees, duct taped them. I mean, it was ridiculous. And then I thought, oh, okay, I'm okay-ish. And by January, so I took, you know, December off and I put that in quotes. And so I gave my body basically not even really one month of rest. And I was back in January in, I believe it was in, uh, It's something, I can't remember what was, but Phoenix was in February and that was the beginning of February. And that broke me that it broke me. I literally was pretty much crawling off the plane in tears and I'm not exaggerating. I had to like crawl down the tarmac. It was like, I, it was in a little airport. So to walk down the stairs into the, like the outside, there was not like a, you know, a, a sky bridge. And I had broken myself and I straight went to, I got off the plane. I went straight to my therapist's office and I was like, I have got to like get a grip on this. Like my knee is freaking out. And he's like, oh yeah, like you just did it totally in. And so had I listened to myself back in October, I would have raced a lot more this year. I wouldn't have been out for most of the year, like a big chunk of the year because I hadn't listened to what was really going on with myself. So moral of the story, sometimes the most challenging thing you can do is love yourself enough to allow yourself the time to heal, whatever that looks like. And man, it sucks sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it does. That's absolutely beautiful though. Like just that phrase, um, and I think it's, a, it's something good for me to hear too, just that phrase. Cause I definitely go, I mean, we all have those days. that's just like, probably not the smartest idea to train. Like my body's just not feeling it, but I need to go anyway. And I'm finally to the point most days 
that <laughs> when I feel that way, like I will take that day off. I'll take that day to rest. But I do go through that inner struggle in my head of, but I want to go, but I want to go. I should go. Like I want to go train. Um, luckily I've gotten smart enough to know that those recovery days are more important than the work days. So, mm -hmm. so I, I'm good to take that, but just that, that love yourself to heal, heal yourself is just a beautiful statement. Yeah. And it does, you know, the back, my back, the thoracic disc thing has been a really weird injury for me. And it's unlike any other feeling that I've ever experienced. And I, and I just, for a long time, I was like, I don't even know how to explain this to you. It just feels strange. And, but what I've, you know, I, I definitely have learned, fortunately for me, I have enough knowledge on how to modify stuff. So I can still continue moving. I still can do certain things. I I'll test things out a little bit. And this will be for anybody that is coming, you know, through an injury is testing, testing small pieces you know, on a daily or every once in a while basis to see where you're at and modify what you need to, you know, keep moving to a healthy degree of what you can do without pain. Um, if something's hurting, obviously stop, pay attention to how you feel after the movement a few hours later that night and reassess for the next time you want to do that. I haven't done a heavy carry since the race in, in August. It's October now. Um, I haven't been able to compress my spine like that. I can't do it. And so I had to give up going to Sweden next month. I had that all planned. I had everything paid for. I was ready to go. I had to defer that race because um, I wasn't going to be able to do any heavy carries. I can't compress my back like that. And I knew that in order to start, I did the time frame and I worked backwards. And I knew that in order to be able to do that, I would have to start doing heavy carries at the beginning of October. And it wasn't, it takes about three months for this kind of an injury of your back to get better. And I knew I didn't have enough time. I was out, I was about a month and a half out from where I was going to be able to be. And so I knew that it wasn't smart to do that. And so this time I actually listened to what my doctor, and my therapist told me, and they both said the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then I made the very adult decision to not go to Sweden to do the super, um, and so the other thing that I would say when it comes to sustainable training to, you know, tearing it up and wanting to do all the things and racing a million races in a year is to listen to what your body's telling you, but also to tr do not, I, I, this is my new rule. I will not do a race that I am not trained up to do on the terrain that it's asking me to do. Meaning if I haven't trained up to 14 or 15 miles for a beast, then I'm not going to do a beast. If I'm trained up to eight miles, then I can do a super and a sprint, <laughs> but I'm not going to go do a beast. If I've only been running on a treadmill or on pavement, you need to get your booty on a trail so that your body understands that's what it's being asked to do. So those are a couple of things that I've learned through the injury process and the rehabbing process is, you know, there is something to be able to push yourself a little bit and doing something out of your comfort zone, but also from, you know, an aging perspective and from a sustainable perspective, listen to what your body's telling you, listen to what your training's taught you and be responsible about that to the best of your ability.
Yeah, that's awesome. That it's so important. <laughs> yeah, so important to be trained for what we're gonna do. Obviously, we don't all have obstacles available to us, and so we can't necessarily train obstacles, but we can still hang. We can still weight ourselves. We can still do mm -hmm. all that, and we can find some trails to run on. Um, you nailed it as far as yeah. If you're running on road and treadmill, and then you want to go do a trail, especially a longer race, like you're gonna kill yourself potentially. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good idea. It's not a great idea. Yeah. So just assessing, you know, assessing the risks and, and just the, the basic scenario of what you're going to get yourself into. Definitely. Something else you kind of talked about and it com comes into play with a sustainability is, and it's different for everybody. And so there's no real way to determine it, but kind of just thinking about that minimal effective dose when it comes to training and how much do we really need to do compared to, you know, how much do we truly beat ourselves up thinking we need to get stuff done. Yeah, that one is uh, that one I would say right now is is my number one struggle <laughs> or challenge is really looking at what the minimum effective dose is and I'm not sure yet what that totally looks like. I, you know, I I follow a lot of the pros and elite racers on Strava and on Facebook. And so I know what their training regimens look like, at least as far as what they're actually putting out there on Strava or, you know, on social. And, you know, there's some people that are machines for sure. And, and maybe part of the conversation is, you know, how, maybe how old you are, how, you know, where your base fitness level is in the first place, what your goals are for the year or for the month and or for the day. Sometimes we just got to break it down for the day. Can't go that far out. Sometimes 24 hours in a day is a lot of hours to get through. And, you know, just, I think it's just, it, I don't know. I think it more or less just requires a consistent coming back to self and assessing where we're at and how we're feeling. And I know that it changes it changes if we're injured. It changes if we're super healthy. It changes, you know, if we're sick, if we have been injured. And so I think maybe more than anything, that minimum effective dose really comes down to where you're at in the moment and then listening to what that actually feels like and looks like. And, and then actually listening, like then, you know, like honoring that instead of pushing it aside, <laughs> right. you know, I've been doing a lot of hiking. Um, you know, I haven't been doing a lot of running. I, uh, the impact, you know, jogging, the, the compression on that, on my spine from even light jogging is, is still a little much. Um, so I, you know, I, I adjusted, I got, I've got some hiking poles, so I hike with poles. So it helps me keep my body more upright instead of looking forward and, you know, like kind of leaning over a little bit, like we tend to do, um, at least I tend to do that. Um, so I've adjusted some things that way. Um, I did a lot of, you know, biomechanical work with, um, sorry, did a lot of biomechanical work with my IT band. So, I mean, part of the story I didn't say about that was, you know, my minimum effective dose for that was, you know, walking. I did have to walk on a treadmill. I couldn't go on uneven terrain. I couldn't go in slippery terrain. It was snowing. It was, you know, winter at the time here in Utah and I live in the woods in the mountains. And so it was, you know, 
everything's hilly, everything's slippery. So I spent a good amount of time on a treadmill. Just that was my minimum effective dose. That's what I could do. And so I really decided to you just have to kind of tune it back and listen to what you can do in those moments. And then just trying to keep your mindset straight up <laughs> out of the gutter <laughs> and do your best to not get frustrated and really just gravitate and remind yourself of all of the goodness that you can do. Be grateful for the small steps you can take and you know, for what your body can do instead of all of the things that you can't do. I would have found myself in a gutter, honestly, like crying in a gutter. If I had gone through all the things I couldn't do, I literally, it was the majority of my training, probably 85% of my training I couldn't do. So I focused on grip. I focused on upper body. I focused on, um, you know, rehabbing like a fanatic. I got real, I, I was building a booty of steel because so much of what an IT band requires is a booty of steel. And so, you know, now with my back, I'm like, okay, well I can do other things. So I spend a lot of time spinning, you know, I, I, I can hike. That feels good. I can spin. That feels good. Those are my minimal effective doses. I use really lightweight right now. I can't do heavy carries. That's okay. I'll get back to them eventually. So keeping the mindset straight, and just appreciating where you're at and being grateful for what your body can do in those moments. And I do think maybe that's part of the answer for a minimal effective dose. I think that's perfect. And it's, it's a great thing to point out that minimal effective dose doesn't mean necessarily decreasing the volume of what you're doing. It's just changing what you're doing to whatever your body can tolerate at a given time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think, and which can be really hard to get our brains wrapped around and our heart wrapped around. But, you know, I've come out of each of those injuries. I can say so far out of the shoulder and the IT because I'm out of those, but I'm not out of the back yet. Um, I've come out much stronger from both of those because I actually paid attention. And I think that also would be something that you talked about is recovery as well. So recovery obviously is super important, but as far as minimal effective dose and sustainable training, Doing, especially for OCR racers, is doing your shoulder work and your, you know, the shoulder band work and your uh, knee band work for your glutes and everything, um, all of those, you know, I, I call them the habs, the knee habs, but all of those banded working uh, exercises that you can do are so vitally important and not like just once in a while, but that they're an integral part of what you do with your body every single day you know, any day you're training, you're working on some of those bands, whether it's your shoulders, whether it's your butt, your knees, anything like that, you know, getting those bands involved, um, is I think super important in keeping all those body parts. Cause those are, those are hard hit parts for OCR racers for sure. Yeah, I would agree. It's something that I incorporate into my workouts. Like I'm going in, especially if we're doing a lot of, um, stuff on the pull-up bar or a lot of like shoulder, a lot of overhead activities I'm doing um, bands on my arms. If we're doing pretty much any day is going to be some sort of leg day in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. So it's like, mm -hmm. I'm doing my doing banded things to activate the glutes, um, before we start. So yeah, it's something that's very important to integrate in. And, you know, I see maybe a handful of people doing it before training, but it's not very many. No. And also not stretching afterwards, not, you know, not doing any of, or, you know, rolling or any of those recovery. I mean, I'm a, you know, I've got all the things now and 
but I don't miss a day without rolling. And I don't care if I even worked out that day. Like I will roll pretty much, you know, my whole body, um, regardless. Um, I did a lot of scraping with a, a metal scraper, gentle scraping, not nothing bruising or making it really upset. But that was one of my, you know, tools that I used, um, for the IT band. I, I, the back is a little bit weirder because it's in the spot that I can't reach very well. I yeah. mean, it's like, it's the one spot on the human body that is really difficult to reach by yourself. <laughs> so I've had to just go and get a lot of manual therapy done and a lot of body work done with other people because it's, that's like the <laughs> hardest place to try to reach. It's like, yeah, it's ridiculous. So that one, I think it's taking a little bit longer just in general, because I can't do some of the things that I normally would have done. Um, I did a lot of complex unit too on my IT band and my shoulder. That was one of the ways that I helped, um, reduce the pain in those areas. And I would say more than almost anything, that sucker helps so much on the pain setting or the pain free setting. Um, the tens part of that was incredible. And so that was helpful too. Um, so just a couple of things as far as recovery strategies are concerned for some of those, those body parts along with bands. Yeah. Awesome. Just kind of start closing it out. Any final thoughts when it comes to just that balancing self-love, that fierceness, that um, just loving ourselves essentially? Uh, you know, I think that, that, that probably sums it up pretty well. Um, I don't know if I've got anything super prophetic about that. Just, I, I think that knowing to just to embrace who we are, to embrace what we are, to embrace our strengths, to work on our weaknesses or, you know, the parts that are a little bit maybe not as strong as others, knowing there's always something else to work on. There's always somewhere else to go. Um, there will always be another race. <laughs> That's been a saving grace. And, you know, to allow, you know, to allow yourself really the grace and the compassion and the love to do what you can do when you can do it, not beat yourself up. Um, and know that as long as you're doing the best that you can do, like that really is enough. And, you know, if you're being an amazing person, you know, giving as much love as you possibly can to the world, then that's, that's good. That's like, that's enough. Like you're enough who you are, where you are doing what you're doing and embracing that to the best of your ability. And sometimes, you know what that means is like literally just being able to get out of bed. That's enough. And that's, that's okay. And then when you can do more, do more. And if you need to do less, do less. And just embracing that and being okay with where you're at with that. And if you're not okay with where you're at, then, you know, get the help and the support that you need so that you can move through that with some more grace and more love. Awesome. That is beautiful. Thank you. If someone wants to talk to you, reach out to you, just follow you, where can they find you at Nicole? Um, they can find me at Nicole Sugihara, which is S U G I H A R A. I'm on Instagram and on Facebook under those names. And you can email me at Nicole at evolveeden.com. And that's N I C O L E at E V O L V E E D E N.com. I know it's a lot of E's. 
And you can always message me and hit me up and I will always respond back. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking the time of your day um, to talk with me. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.